Foundation Church. Uh, my name is Jeremy Kelly. I'm one of the elders here, and we have been walking through the Psalms of Ascent over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to do that. This morning, we are in Psalm 123. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Psalm 123. And if you don't have your Bible, it is going to be depicted on the screens up there, or we have some in the back on the table if you want to grab one. It's a short psalm, and we're going to read the whole thing this morning. Um, Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come on your day and worship you. God, we set aside today as the Lord's day. And no matter what's been going on this week, where we've been, what we've been doing, what our minds, our thoughts have been preoccupied with, this morning we come to you. We look to you. We look to your word. We open our hearts this morning and ask that you would speak to us directly. What an incredible ask that we can come to the living God. Yet you give us access through your son Jesus to hear from you, to be in your presence, to worship you, the worthy, almighty, living God We're grateful this morning. We ask that you would change us, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to know you better this morning. Know more about your attributes and who you are and what that means for us through your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Psalm 123 is where we are. Sean Mendez the pop singer of recent history, meaning like the last couple of years, wrote a song. I don't know if he wrote it, but he sang a song, and it's become pretty popular, called Mercy. I don't know if you've seen this song or heard this song. Um, If you listen to Top 40 Radio, it has probably come across your radio, and many of you in this room who would not admit it probably listen to it every time it's on. You just wouldn't say so. I say that because that's me. I actually do listen to the song when it comes on. And and he he cries out in this song, Sean Mendez does. He's got a good voice. He's a young kid. I I don't think he's that old. Baby, please have mercy on me. Take it easy on my heart. You know what I'm talking about now. Some of you are humming right now inside. Even though you don't mean to hurt me, you keep tearing me apart. Won't you please have mercy Mercy on my heart. Won't you please have mercy, mercy on my heart. This is Sean Mendez's hit that's currently playing now. Maybe one some of you, some others of you sitting in the, in the audience might remember um, before Alicia Keys and Sean Mendez, there was the original soul singer Marvin Gaye, right? Come on. See, more people are nodding than in Sean Mendez. <laughs> and Marvin Gaye, what, he had tons of it. Heard it through the grapevine, uh, 
Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Anybody, those of you who are young, who knew what I was talking about when I mentioned Shawn Mendes, it's the song on that movie, Remember the Titans, okay? That's probably how you know it, but Ain't No Mountain High Enough, uh, he had huge hits, but in the 70s, I think about 71, he came out with an album. He, he began Marvin Gaye to get a little bit more politically conscious, right? Conscious, right? His music began to have kind of a, um, a political bent or a, I want to speak to issues of the day um, kind of a bent, and he came out with uh, What's Going On um, album, and in that you heard the song what? Oh, Mercy, Mercy Me. I kind of want to sing it, but I won't. <laughs> Some of you, right, you're singing it in your heads, right? Okay, because I am. Matt, not nah, everyone. Woe, mercy, mercy me, oh, things ain't what they used to be. No, no, where did all the blue skies go? Poison is the wind that blows from the north and the south and the east. Oh, mercy, mercy me, things ain't what they used to be. We've heard since we have been evicted from the garden a cry in the hearts of human beings for mercy. And a song even older, much, much older than Sean Mendez and even older than Marvin Gaye, there was a cry in an ancient song in Psalm 123. And that cry is familiar to us. We can relate to this. And as we've talked about the Psalms of Ascent, what we recognize in this biblical literature, the ancient Psalms are songs and poems and cries from the heart that evict emotion, that emit uh, a, a, an emotional response to need, an emotional response to who God is. I believe this morning that, that this song that cries out for mercy um, actually teaches us theology. And when I say theology, I mean the study of Theo, the, the study of God. Central to what we do as we approach the Word of God is, is we study, we look to the Word of God for theology, for an understanding of who God is. Who is God? Because God, who has created the universe, who has created us, what we recognize in scriptures, is not far from us, but He is a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word and to explain to us who he is, what his attributes are, and how he relates to us. How many of you this morning are grateful for that? So in our cry for mercy, the psalmist cries out in Psalm 123 for mercy. Let's read Psalm 123 together. To you... I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us, upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. 
Our soul has laid more than enough of scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Have mercy on us. So I want to ask and answer, hopefully from the word of God, a couple of questions this morning. And, And one of those questions is, where do we find mercy? Where do we find mercy? And in answering that question, ask the question, how do we endure until mercy comes? Marvin Gaye, Sean Mendez, so many have cried out, mercy, 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 looking for mercy, looking for some kind of, 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 of favor to come upon them from someone else who's causing them contempt or causing them scorn. And, and I think we need to ask ourselves in the midst of whatever trouble we find ourselves, and I think part of the issue this morning we'll have to address is recognizing our need for mercy We need to know where to look. Where do we go for mercy in our lives? I think there's something inside of us, I know in me, that that recognizes, I hope, a need for it. And as we see the psalmist crying out, he's crying out because, because of those who ridicule, because of those who have shown him contempt. And the psalmist cries out and says, I've had my fill of it. I've had enough. God, I need mercy. You know, part of addressing this psalm, I think we have to take a clear-eyed picture of the world in which each of us live in addressing this need for mercy. I, I would venture to say, in a general sense, the amount of injustice that each of us have experienced, maybe as we look around the world, doesn't exactly wash with maybe what the psalmist was going through or what others are, are experiencing. I've told this story before, but I think in the context of what Scripture is speaking to us this morning, we have to look around and recognize it. Years ago, the Unrights and us and uh, Jim Murphy and some others went to New York City to lead worship for a conference. And... Uh, it was a worldwide uh, pastors' conference, so there was uh, Christians and leaders and pastors from uh, all over the world that were there, all over Europe, Egypt, Syria, and I'll never forget worshiping with these brothers and sisters, and I was just playing drums, but recognizing as I looked around the difficulty that so many other Christians were facing. The reality is millions and millions and millions of Christians are experiencing the kind of contempt for their faith that the psalmist was talking about. That, that to believe in Jesus threatens their life. To walk a faithful life to, to the God of the universe, a faithful life of Christ brings their life into danger in a way that many of us don't experience. They're ridiculed, they're mocked, and they're persecuted in a way that, that we are beginning to experience differently than I think we had in the past in the, in the United States, but, but they are experiencing in a way that, that you see or you hear that cry, and it makes a lot of sense. We were singing, Matt, please, what song was it that we were singing? Uh, 
oh, what was it? Yeah, we were singing a song that was really a cry for help. Uh, you're always, yes, the song always, uh, my God, he will not delay, my refuge and strength always. Those were the words we were singing. And, I, you know, I've sung that song a thousand times. Oh, my God, he will not delay. And it, it, we've sing it in church, my refuge and strength always. And I had this moment where I was on the drums, and these guys were playing, and Jim Murphy was leading, and I looked at a group of pastors and leaders from Syria who today are probably dead, as ISIS has ravaged that country and burned and beheaded and tortured and killed most of the Christian leaders in that country. So the men we were singing with that day are probably no longer alive. And I looked out into the crowd and saw these Syrian pastors with their hands straight up in the air, tears coming down their face. Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge, my strength always. And I was so convicted as I looked out in my own worship and thought, wow, that's real. That's a cry from the heart of someone who's going back to Syria to serve the Lord. While the pastor from Egypt was preaching at the conference, there were riots and terrorist attack in the city, and his staff was locked in the church. His rocks were being thrown through the windows, and he was getting text messages while he was preaching, concerned and praying for his own staff in the moment that we were there. So we recognize a cry for mercy from those who would experience contempt or ridicule or persecution. And, and, and I think it would, it's important for us to look around the world and recognize that that's a very real need for many believers around the world to cry out for God's mercy, to, to wait on God for mercy, to look to Him for mercy. And I think for us today, I'm not minimizing what you're going through at all. Uh, and I think we need to introspectively this morning, in light of the Word of God, take a look at what's going on in your heart and in your life. As you stand up for Christ in the midst of your workplace, or as a teenager stands up for Christ in the midst of, of high school, or a college student... There is no more hostile place to the gospel than an American university today. And as you would stand up and believe in Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he says and how we're to live and relate to him, in college you will be made fun of, ridiculed, called a bigot, called an insensitive, uh, old, you know, you, you'll be called all sorts of things. As we stand up in the midst of that, what do we do? Where do we go for mercy? And the psalmist tells us, what does he say in the first verse? To you, I lift my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. What God is speaking to us today through his word is in your cry for mercy. There is one place to go. There is one place to look. There is one place for you to set your gaze. And that's on the Lord who's enthroned in the heavens. Amen? We look to Him. We lift our eyes to Him as we cry out for mercy. Where do we get it? Do we get it from the woman that Sean Mendez is singing to, begging for mercy? Do we get it from a political system that Marvin Gaye is trying to address, crying out for mercy for just our world to be a better place? No, we look to Him. We lift our eyes to the one enthroned in the heavens. Amen? 
That's good news. That speaks to us about who our God is. Look at Psalm 121, as Mike's already addressed it. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen? Psalm 23, to you I lift my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. You made heaven and earth. You're enthroned in the heavens. And and in my need, I look to you. I lift my eyes to you. I set my gaze on you. You know, this this is a real theological um, revelation to us from the Word of God because it does focus on God. The focus of this passage is on Him, not us. Look at it for a minute. To you, I lift my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. The focus is on who? It's on God. We look to a God. We gaze upon a God. We lift our eyes to the God who created heaven and earth and who's enthroned in the heavens. We have a powerful God who made heaven and earth, who lives in the heavens, who's enthroned, meaning he rules, he reigns, he's sovereign, he's in control. We look and we gaze upon him. We look to him for mercy. And he, as we see in these Psalms, 121 and 123, he is taking care of us. He is protecting us. He is our provision. He is providing for us. That's who we look to. That's who we know. That's who we get to know is our God, the one who's enthroned in the heavens and who we can look to in our cry for mercy. And, and, and I think it begs, begs the next question. Where do we look in our, in, our, in our hour of need? Where do we look when we are in need of mercy? Who do we go to? Who do we look to? Let me tell you who you get to look to. You get to look to the God who's enthroned in the heavens. Amen? I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes and I look to him. And and then the psalmist describes for us what that looks like. Where is your gaze? Where are you looking today? And number two, how is your gaze? How is it that you are looking upon him in the midst of your week between Sundays? Are you looking to the God? Are you lifting your eyes? And is your gaze of such that you are looking to God in a particular way? What does the psalmist say? I look to him who's enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes, I look to him as the eyes of a servant. Look to the hand of their master. As the eyes of a maidservant look to the hand of her mistress. How am I gazing upon the God who's enthroned in the heavens? How am I looking to him for mercy? So I've answered the question, where do I go for mercy? I go to him. And then what do I do? I gaze upon him. I lift my eyes and I look to him as a servant looks to his master or as a maidservant looks to her mistress. And in this day, it's descriptive of us um, of, of a master who is, is, is looking back towards the servant and the servant looking to the master with a ready hand. At any motion of the master, he's ready to serve. He's ready to obey. He's ready to do what it is the master has, has, has asked him to do. 
looking to God for mercy as a servant who looks to his master. I'm gazing upon the master. My eyes are focused on the master. And if you can imagine for a moment a servant and a master relationship in this day, the servant is ready, waiting, and gazing at the master because if the master speaks and needs him to move, needs him to go somewhere, needs him to do something, the servant needs to be paying attention. His gaze needs to be fixed and focused on his master, and he needs to be ready to act if he's asked to move. That's what God's called for us to look to him as the master. Not just the master who would command not just the master who would ask us to go do something and, and, and we would be ready to move and to serve, but also a master who is the person who provides, the master whose provision is there for the servant. Uh, everything he needs, everything he, he wants is provided to him by his master. And he looks and he gazes as a servant looking at the master who provides for him. Never forget when my children were babies and... Um, those of you who have kids or have been around babies, you recognize this. When you're holding the bottle and they're hungry, right? First, they've told you they're hungry by letting out an incredible noise um, of need, a cry for mercy, a cry for, for something to eat. And then when you get the bottle, and I remember holding the kids like this and putting the bottle in their mouth, it was like this infant death grip. Does anybody know what I'm talking Just just grab along with you as you're holding it. And wherever you move the bottle, their eyes go, right? I mean, you can, go, you can just mess with them. They're, they're just completely fixed on, and, and in need of this provision from the person who provides for them what they need. As they get a little bit older, and, and inevitably... You know, they're right at the height of the corner of the table and their walking is not that great and poof, they just, they hit, they hit their heads and they stand up and they turn and their gaze turns right to you with their hands up. Just gazing at you, hands up, in need and looking to you to pick them up and to provide comfort and to provide provision and protection. And we see it in the life of our children as they gaze towards you for that help. And what the psalmist is saying is in the midst of your need, in the midst of your cry, in the midst of your need for mercy, turn to him. Lift your arms like a toddler to his dad and look upon your master and cry out to him for mercy. Amen? That's where we get to go. It's to God who is there, ready, willing, and the only one able to provide for us what we need. The master provides his provision. The master to the servant or the mistress to the maidservant provides protection. Looking to the God of the universe for his hand of protection. What do we see here that's radically different from where our culture leads us? I mean, if you were to turn on, God forbid, Christian television <laughs> and listening to some of the quote-unquote gospel stuff that's being peddled today. You would think that, 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 that God is just there to provide for you health, wealth, 
a nice car, a golden sink, I don't know, like, you know, that, that, that somehow the gospel has amounted to us just requesting of God a better life in things and stuff. And somehow our proportional relationship with God to the degree that we're doing well in our faith towards God, he's providing for us wealth and health and stuff and things that we want. And, and, and that would be this false gospel that's being peddled all over America. And what does this passage say to us? No, you will be in the midst of trouble. You will be ridiculed. You will be going through struggle. And you look to God for mercy. You look to God for mercy. And what does it say? I will, I will request mercy. Look at uh, verse 2, B. I'll read the whole verse. Behold, the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master, the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God, when? Till he has mercy upon us. What does that tell us? We need to endure difficulty till he has mercy on us. What do we know? We know we can trust the God who's enthroned in the heavens to have mercy on us. We know we can look to him, that our eyes should be lifted to him as he is the only one who is the master who can provide, who can protect, who can, who can, uh, who can work in our lives in this way. And we will wait till he has mercy on us. In the midst of temptation to go somewhere else, we look to Jesus. When we want to medicate our issues or our problems with the bottle or with the pill or with busyness or with entertainment or with uh, ambitious pursuits, God says, no, don't, don't rush to those things. Don't, as Jeremiah says, continue to drink from cisterns of dirt. I have living water for you, but you look to me and you gaze upon me till I have mercy on you because that's where real mercy comes from in his time and his sovereignty. Amen? When you don't understand why it's happening, what's going on, why the pain, why the ridicule, why the difficulty, here's what you know. You can lift your eyes to the God who's enthroned in the heavens and say, God, I don't understand, but I know you do, and you're sovereign, and you love me like a master to a servant. You provide, you protect, and you guide me, and so I look to you, and I will endure until you have mercy on me. I'm not going to look anywhere else. Amen? That's what he's called us to. Our eyes gaze upon him. The big contradictory, I think, system of thought, worldview that comes from this passage that's completely different from our worldview that we see today is that mercy and justice equals radical submission to the master. Does it not? Mercy in our lives, justice in our lives, equals radical submission to the master. I mean, how is that different from most people's posture today? Where do you get freedom today? Where do you get mercy today? Where do you get just the freedom today is freedom to serve yourself, is it not? Freedom today is to find what you want. 
to figure out who you are, to go find yourself, to go find value from within you, to just figure out what, I mean, it is, it is literally the Disney Channel catechism. If it, it's, it's what, how we are catechizing our kids is, is through the Disney Channel message of you just do what you want to do. You, you, radical individualism. You, you are not beholden to anyone else. You're not beholden to family. You're not beholden to society. You're not beholden to anything else that anyone would say about you. No one can speak truth to you and who you are. you got to figure out who, who you are from within yourself. And everybody else just has to submit to what you feel about who you are. Is that not the message of today? Radical individualism is a completely untenable way or, or worldview for a society to function. I figure out who I am and everybody else submits to it, but I have to submit to who you figured out you are, and, and as that collides, it's impossible. God speaks to that. He says, Look, look to the hills, lift your eyes to me, and like a master, I'm going to speak, and like a servant, you respond ready to submit and to serve. The day I realized, in in the most probably real way up until that point, as a young child I had come to Christ, but as a teenager, the Word of God spoke to me and illuminated to me, and, and it was a very, very simple message. As I had all these ideas of who I was, all these ideas of what I wanted to do, all these ideas that were completely self-centered around me, I realized, and I don't know how, it was a gift from God, that God is smarter than me. Isn't that remarkable? That the God of the universe who created everything to the degree my life could glorify him, has a purpose and an understanding of who I am and what I am to do and how I am supposed to live in a way that's so far beyond anything my two and a half cups of pink and gray electric putty between my ears can figure out. The God of the universe, the master of the universe who created everything, he defines me. He's my identity. He is my master. When he speaks, the best thing I can do is immediately listen and serve. Radical submission to him is the way that I receive mercy and grace. Amen? Flies in the face of today's teaching. So as we've grasped this morning some theology about who God is. God is the master. God is sovereign. God is, wants us to look to him as he provides, protects, and, and engages our lives. What does it tell us about us? What does the word of God speak to us about who we are in relationship to God? The Bible's very clear and it flies in the face of the me-centered worldview of today. The Bible teaches us what? That we're weak. That you and me are not self-sufficient. You can't figure it out. You can't get mercy for yourself. So if we're sitting here this morning, let's ask the big question. Do you recognize this morning as you sit right here on Josephine Street in 2017 in North Syracuse, New York, do you recognize your need for mercy this morning? 
Do we recognize our need for mercy? Because the word of God clearly teaches us we are weak. We're guilty. That's why we need mercy. Because we're broken and we're wrong and we're weak and we are not self-sufficient. That's what the Bible teaches us about who we are. We're broken. We're flawed. And as we recognize our flaw in the midst of a God who's perfect, as the law of God has come down through his word like a plumb line to a carpenter, you can't tell if the wall is crooked until you drop the plumb line and then you see, oh my goodness, the wall's totally crooked. We built it the wrong way. That's what the word of God speaks to us. And as we look at our lives in, the, in, in, in contrast that with God and who he is and his sovereignty, the God of the universe, the master who's enthroned in heaven, what do we recognize? We recognize that we are flawed. We are crooked. We are insufficient. We are not self-sufficient. We're broken, and we are in desperate need of mercy. Amen? The psalmist recognized that. His cry for mercy God, have mercy upon us. Look at the last couple of verses. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. We recognize this morning that what the Bible teaches us about God and His all-sufficiency and His sovereignty as the Master who's enthroned in heaven, has created the heavens and the earth, what it teaches about us is that we are not self-sufficient. We are in desperate need. And as we look to him and endure, we wait upon the Lord, trusting the master. We live in a culture where we want things now, don't we? Come on. I mean, instant. Instant gratification. It's amazing to me how quickly my children can get answers for their homework. Like, I can't imagine this. When I went to school, do you guys remember going to the library? Anybody? The Dewey Decimal System, right? We had to like go to the card catalog and go find books and look stuff up. Remember the guy that used to come to the door and sell encyclopedias so that you could get answers to your homework? Uh, this, this world is completely foreign to the young people today. Literally, my kids just go... Google or Siri, can you tell me who was the da-da-da, and boom, there's the answer. All right. It's unbelievable. I can't imagine. I love this. Instant information. When Trish and I, my wife and I, get in an argument about what actor was in what movie, I can instantly prove her wrong by just going to Google. It's remarkable. Here she says, I'm always right. Yes, she is. Instant information. Instant access to things. And God, God says that, that sometimes we have to wait. Remember when Lazarus was in the tomb and they waited for days, for two days, and Jesus, knowing he was going to die, he shows up and, and, and Martha and Mary are desperate. And what we see from the word of God in the psalmist here as he cries out, I will, I will wait upon you until you have mercy on me, is that, listen, you've, some of you have been praying. Some of you have been crying out to God. Some of you in your hearts, this has been your heart's cry. God, I can't take it anymore. I have had my fill of contempt. And I want to speak to you from the word of God this morning that delay does not mean denial, that God knows what he's doing. Wait upon the Lord. Look upon the Lord. He knows what he's doing. He is sovereign over your life. And he will speak to your situation and have mercy on you. Amen? 
Delay does not mean denial. God knows what he's doing. He's in control. And in the midst of our inability to understand and our insufficiency, we just need to look to him and set our gaze upon him and trust him. Amen? He can be trusted. He's worthy of our belief. To you I lift my eyes. 1 John 4.10 speaks to us of God's ultimate answer to our need for mercy. It's quicker on my phone. 1 John 4.10 speaks to us as we recognize from Scripture our insufficiency, as we recognize from Scripture our great need in the very clear theological understanding that God is good and gracious and perfect and the understanding of man that we are sinful, our wills are bent, we are broken and flawed. We recognize that he reached out and that he first loved us. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In this is love, that we've not loved God, I'm sorry, that we have loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The psalmist prayer in Psalm 123 has been answered in this, that a little baby was in a manger, that God came wrapped in skin, and that his incarnation was him coming to us because he recognized our need for mercy, our insufficiency to save ourselves. Jesus came. He lived. The word of God made flesh dwell among us. The perfect imprint of God was Jesus as he walked among us and lived the righteous life that every one of us and our flawed, incapable selves were unable to do. Jesus did it. He fulfilled it. And then Jesus, the God of the universe, come to earth. He died and took upon himself the propitiation. He was the substitute. He was the one who got in our place. Because of God's mercy, Jesus stepped in front of you and took upon himself the wrath of God and the punishment for sin. He was your substitute. He was my substitute. As we cry out to God for mercy, God, we need mercy. We're flawed. We're broken. God answered objectively. He sent his son. And Jesus was the substitute. He took upon himself the wrath of God. Can I tell you the wrath of God for sin is an awful, awful scary thing as it's depicted in his word. 
And to the degree you have a hatred for injustice and for sin and for sickness and awful things, God's wrath for that is even scarier. And he poured out his wrath for all of man's sins, saved up from Adam to the end of the world. He poured it out on Jesus as he became the substitute for us. He became our propitiation. He stepped in our place. And then there is now this great exchange When you lift your eyes to God who's enthroned in heaven and you say, God, I rely on you for salvation, he exchanges your sin and your flaws and your falling short. He exchanges it for Jesus and his righteousness. And he takes upon himself the punishment for your sin and he gives you the righteous life none of us lived and none of us deserved. What a great exchange as we look to the God of the heavens and cry out for mercy. He's answered, amen? If you're sitting here this morning and you're questioning God's love for you, his mercy upon you, you can reach out of your subjective emotional life, whatever circumstances are throwing at you, and you can reach out of that and you can grab onto something solid that's objective, that's true, regardless of how you feel this morning. The cross of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on your behalf is real, and it's true, and it objectively shows to you the love and the mercy of God. Amen? We have a good God. Mercy's been shown in His love for us. Where do you look this morning for mercy? Where do you look this morning for provision? for protection, for forgiveness? Where do you look this morning in your cry for help? The psalmist tells us, lift your eyes. Look to the heavens. The God who's enthroned in the heavens, who created heaven and earth, is a good master. And in your submission to him, he has had and will continue to have mercy upon us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a psalm where the psalmist writes emotions and needs that we so relate to. But this psalm is not just a song with no answer. But this psalm teaches us who you are, God, and who we are in relationship to you. And so we stand here Lord, or we sit here, Lord, this morning in recognition of our need, but more importantly in recognition of the source, the answer to our need, and that is you. We lift our eyes to you, O Lord, enthroned in the heavens, maker of heaven and earth. We look to you. You're good.
You love us. You loved us first. And you are the only one who provides mercy, protection, and provision. Help us to not look elsewhere, but to gaze upon you, ready to move when you speak. Looking to you for that protection, for your hand, your wing to cover us. And looking to you for provision, the one who has everything. We look to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. stand and respond to this. And I fear my faith fail Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never my home through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast and he will hold me fast he will hold me for my Savior's lovely soul, she will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight, Christ will hold me Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast 
Till our faith is turned to sight When He comes at last will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me this morning, this table depicts for us a picture of mercy. This table depicts for us the provision from God for us in our cry for help and in our cry for mercy. I want to read 1 John 4 again. I'm going to start in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we recognize those two truths that are the theme that runs through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And that's that God loves us and has demonstrated His love and His mercy to us in His forgiveness, in His death and resurrection, in His propitiation for our sins. He's demonstrated His love for us in such a way that we, in receiving that, can only respond in what? love for one another. The way we love each other tells the story of how God in His death and His broken body and His blood that was spilled has loved and forgiven us. The amazing thing about the Lord's table is that we come to this together, committed to each other, not because, as we talked about last week, we have common interests or we come from same backgrounds, but we have fellowship and love for each other. Why? Because of Jesus and what he's done for us, his mercy upon us. And so let's do that together this morning with forgiveness and love in our hearts towards others. 
First Corinthians 11 uh, commends us to come to this table properly. To come to this table believing upon Jesus for his forgiveness. If that's you and you're relying on Christ for his provision in this, you are welcome. If you're still questioning and wondering and not ready, that's okay. It's okay. Talk to somebody today about God's provision for you in Christ. But if you believe, come to the table. And in that, as a believer, don't come to this table. Recognizing God's forgiveness for you with unforgiveness in your heart for someone else. Come to this table laying that down. Come to this table breaking bread with others. Making that right. Loving others the way God has loved us is a part of the Lord's table as we come to worship. Amen? God, we thank you for your love for us. And because of this amazing gift, we must, in our hearts, love and forgive others. You have been so merciful and gracious to us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Please come as you feel ready. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with us again this morning, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as we take our offering this morning, give back to God a portion of what he's given to us, recognizing in scripture that he has all of our heart and that we owe him everything and just ask that he would uh, continue to use our gift to, to build his kingdom in this area and around the world. That's our prayer. That's our heart as a church. And we're going to pray as we do every week for another local church. I'm going to pray for two just because uh, we have on here this morning to pray for Ronnie Wyatt in Neighborhood Church, which is a partner church of ours. We're going to 
pray for Ronnie in the in neighborhood church this morning, but also uh, Mike Maisie, our pastor, one of our elders, is at Grace Road in Rochester preaching this morning. So let's pray for, for them as they worship uh, just down the street in Rochester. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your provision. We thank you this morning that you've given us, you've reached all the way. Your love is not based on our performance. Your love is based on your act, your action of love towards us. We respond this morning recognizing that, that our whole life is yours. We ask that you would take these tithes and these offerings and use them, make them effective. We pray for Ronnie Wyatt Neighborhood Church that you would continue to bless that place, that you would minister through Ronnie, that you would use them as a, as a place where your glory is declared, your gospels preached effectively. Pray for Mike as he's gone this morning preaching in Rochester that you would bless Mike, use him, and, and bless Grace Road Church and that partner church in Rochester that you administer powerfully through them in Rochester, New York. We thank you for everything you are doing right here. We look to you and worship you in Jesus' name. Everybody said.